1: Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Weff. As always, I'm your host and I'm joined today by a very, very busy Tim Bokdarchev in Vancouver. How's it going over there? Uh, you had oh, quite a weekend, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did massive success,
2: everything. Um, it's funny how, like, probably Football Grad listeners, uh, they, they're obviously not in Vancouver, so they listen that th- this is happening in my life. And for, specifically for them, I can tell. Uh if you care. Thank you so much for your support and it was such a massive success. Rockets for Marshall Fest. It was it was it was amazing. I'm I'm still recovering, but it was so good.
1: Well, I'm glad you made it on the podcast given the weekend that you had. <laughs> always good to hear your voice. But we're joined um all the way, as always, halfway around the planet. Um Traveler is going to be a feature. This is this week once again, so um just imagining it. Andrew, all the way over in Siberia, how's it going? How's your summer over there?
0: Oh my word, I don't know if summer's the right word to call it this. Um, I've seen the worst torrential rainfall in my life and I've seen the most blazing sunshine in my life too. So I guess it's just very Russian. But yeah, I'm enjoying life, looking forward to this. Um, And yeah, like you say, travel. I'll be traveling this weekend again. Um, So yeah, looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, travel is always the main feature on this podcast uh, and We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but before we actually dive into the, the Russian Football Premier League and everything that's been happening there, I want to take a look at Ukraine first. And the, the reason for that is that there was a very big game um, this weekend. And it's one of the biggest games in the region. And that's the all-Ukrainian derby um, or the classical Ukrainian classic, Shakhtar Donetsk against Dynamo, Kiev. And I mean, this is the kind of game... Tim, that's even quite famous in, in Russia, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, yeah. People still follow. Like, I'm one of those people, you know, like there's obviously all those political differences between Ukraine and Russia. I still think we're all the same people. Like, I was born in USSR, so I don't really have any, any, any problems of, like, you know, Ukrainian people. I still try to follow with the league. Unfortunately, it's not that easy, especially living in Canada. It's, I don't have full access, so um, my knowledge is slightly limited. But at the same time, I always try to watch these games. Big clubs, we all know what um, Dynamo Kyiv and Shakhtar did in Champions League. Massive clubs, massive success. Unfortunately, obviously, like the league is going through some time, uh, tough times right now. But it's it, it's the game to watch
1: if you if you follow if you into uh, post Soviet Union uh, football. I know you mean watching this game in particular? You must be sticking it to uh, you must be hoping that Shakhtar Donetsk, win because Dynamo Kiev was Spartak's biggest rival during the time of the USSR, wasn't it?
2: Uh, they were, they were, but I, for some reason I don't have any, any, you know, negative emotions towards Zeni Hakeev. I don't know, maybe like, I, I, I don't, I don't have anything. So I don't really have any. I don't really support one of the teams. I don't really dislike one of the teams. I just want them to do well. And um, but at the same time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, both both clubs are great clubs. It's interesting clubs to follow. Both clubs have different history. Um, back in the day, yeah. Back in the day, yeah. Well, like when in USSR, uh, when uh, Spartak played against a legendary, um, you know, the game when uh, then Shmarov scored the the gore, That that was that was a big, big, big rivalry. But right now, I think it's not such a big rivalry. But. Um, yeah, like, you know, I'm supposed to hate Dynamo Keefe. Okay, let's say I hate them, but to be quite honest, I don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess time heals all wounds, right? Because, I mean, I remember when I researched, uh, started researching football in the region, and um, even the first game in the Champions League in 1993, I believe it was, was still, was almost like it was back in the Soviet Union. It was a huge rivalry, and uh, it was a lot of chaos in, in both games. And um, But that, that's now, I mean, the Soviet Union... Has now fallen twenty-seven years ago. So
2: actually, I, I, I remember that game the, yeah. back then. Um, Spartak was supposed to be more superior, and uh, when they played in Kiev, and it was like I think it was two nothing after maybe first half. I don't remember exactly, but I, I remember watching this game. I was a kid, and um, it was like it was like walk in a park, and then Kiev just came back full stadium. And they just came back. They were so good. It was it was unbelievable Kick, uh, comeback. And they won three two. And that was really really um, sad because like Spartak controlled the game. Everything was was great. And then Kiev just came back. The the, the stadium was on fire. It was like
1: the Olympiisky Stadium, eighty thousand. How many? I don't know. And it yeah, was it, eighty thousand. <laughs> I, I remember that old Olympisky Stadium. It was it, wow. It was it was it was ugly as hell. but it was a cauldron and I've now actually the first ever game I covered as uh, a member of the press was at the new Olympisky stadium Um, I was um, I got in um, via tribuna and uh, it was a national team game between um, Cameroon and Ukraine in 2013 and that was the first ever game I covered uh, as a member of the press so Olympisky is where it all began (laughs) but it's a very different facility now now this game in particular didn't play take place at the Olympic It also didn't take place at the at the um, Arena in Donetsk. Reason for that is, of course, the conflict in Ukraine, which we have covered in the past. Um, instead, this game, the Donetsk, um, because of the conflict, they were playing their home games in Lvov. And uh, as of last January, moved all their home games to Kharkiv, which is closer to the region where they're from. It's Eastern Ukraine, it's Russian-speaking. Similar background in terms of working class, uh, steel and coal mining, etc. And they are actually doing quite well at the Metalua Arena. But, Andrew, they lost this game. And that was a huge surprise um, for many reasons, because it was the first time in 54 games that Schachter did not score, which is a huge number and it was the first time in a long time that they lost um, a derby to dinamo kiev and on top of that dinamo kiev has now taken top spot i know it's only two games into the season but that is quite um, a statement by dinamo kiev isn't it especially considering that the club is going through some hard times
0: oh absolutely um i mean you know i i i've watched ukrainian football as a as more modern viewer um than than you guys, I, I guess. But I've always been caught by the you know the fluency and the sheer flair of Shakhtar. They just seem like such an exotic side. I mean, mostly because of a lot of the imports they brought in. And you know, an old football grad favourite, um, Bernard. Uh, he had he had an interesting first half. He he cut in um, cut in from the right, and he really should have scored. To be honest, after about twenty minutes or so um and it was a fair bit of desperate defending from dinamo throughout the game but um they they all dinamo also hit the bar um and they in the end well yeah they they have a threat um umbakari up front he's a big muscular guy who english followers will know from his time on loan at, at hull um but uh, yeah, I mean, how many times have Shaq lost in the last, what, 18 months? Was it, they only lost twice, was it, in the league, we were saying off pod last season? Yeah, it's the third um, defeat in two years. Third defeat in two years. I mean, it's, that's, that's sort of Celtic in the 90s, sort of, sort of, <laughs> of Glasgow Rangers in the 90s in Scotland, sort of, statistics. It's just mad. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, it's going to make, I mean, like you say, it's only two games per season, but to put out that statement of intent so early, it means, the, well, well, at least the first half of the season is going to be interesting now. Um, and I certainly will be watching Dinamo's progress with a lot more interest because, you know, the, there are a lot of names in there that um, perhaps some viewers have probably forgotten about even. Um, Yarmolenko, for example. I mean, what's you know what's going to happen to this guy? Um, I can't pronounce the name well. Perhaps you'll help me out here, Manny, but Sihankov? Sh- Sihankov. siankov Um I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops, um, young midfielder too, so I I always think it's good when the, I guess, the underdog of a derby wins because it means that, you know, the tables are turned a bit, so we'll see the character of Shakhtar now.
1: Yeah, I think so too, and I mean, I'm very interested, I I cover Shakhtar Duniaz quite a bit because it's a team that's fascinated me for a long time, and I think that they're still by far the better side, um, despite the fact that they actually haven't signed anyone in almost two seasons, or any one of note. The, the last play, big player that they brought in was Gustavo Blanco-Lichuk from, he's an Argentinian-Ukrainian striker who they signed from Kapati Lviv last Christmas. But other than that, there has been no activity. What there has been happening though, and we spoke a little bit about this off-pot, is that they have a lot of players always out on loan, and that's because their youth academy is very strong. And they send out players all across the country um, to, to develop. And there has been even recently talk that they, they would uh, buy a team abroad to send players there. And that's um, something you see when you look at Ukrainian squads. Playing in the Europa League, you always see that there's maybe four or five players on loan from Shakhtar Donetsk. Sarja Luhanska, who played Manchester United last season, is such a is such a club and that's because they're under the table, owned is maybe the wrong word, but very interconnected. So it's always a weird phenomenon because you see Shakhtar Donetsk and Dynamo Kiev basically using their entire league as a farm league, um, which is something you don't really have anywhere else. And that gives you this um, this really weird power dynamic right now that those two teams are above and beyond anyone right now in the league. But despite all the financial problems that are going on in the country and the economic problems that are going on in the country and also the kind of economic and financial problems that exist um, and that have killed teams like Metalist, Kharkiv, a very famous team for a very long time, and Dniepo, Dniepo Petrovsk. And we have a feature on them. They played the Europa League final just two years ago and now they're playing in the third division because of financial problems. Um, Schachter and Dynamo, there has some financial issues there too, but they have escaped that because they're so, so far by, above everyone else in the league that they were able to sort of circumnavigate any kind of financial problems by basically loaning out players and having the kind of economic structure to survive that. But it hasn't basically made the league, which used to be, and I mean, Tim, we talked about that before the part, this used to be a league better than the Russian Football Premier League. But right now it's really struggling because really it's only a two-horse race, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially like like you said, all the clubs which you mentioned, they were like a strong contribution to Europa League. And um, Shakhtar, when in the top uh, prime time, when they were, they were the best club in you know post-Soviet um, Union um, area. They were definitely stronger than any team. Like like when they played the um, Champions League, it was it was such a massive club. Unfortunately, with all the problems of the country. Obviously, like you know, that that the fact the football, and um, right now they're not as as good as as they were. But um, yeah, like like Ukrainian league was so exciting that all those teams, unfortunately, uh, not anymore. And um, like I honestly wish they will they will get back because uh, it was exciting when Dnipro would play. Remember when they played Europa League final? It yeah. was so exciting. And like you know, it was so yeah. Well, like we want like. John, I think like the, the football grad network and just pr- pretty much everyone in the world wants the uh, uh, Ukrainian league to come back and just become uh, as strong as it can.
1: Yeah, we have a rider who was unfortunately not available today, Vadim Furmanov, who was very, very well versed in the Ukrainian Premier League. And um, before we move over to Russia, um, just a wrap up maybe, the, the league now only has 12 teams left. Uh, it's the, the second season that they're playing in that format, which means they're going to play each other twice. And then they, they're basically dividing the league into a championship round and uh relegation round. Now, that doesn't speak well for the, the strength of the league. Although there's some smaller clubs that are coming through now, um, who are developing quite nicely, especially in the second division. Um, the, the financial problems of a lot of the bigger clubs has meant that, you know, the, there was a bit of, weeding um, uh, out of the teams that did not comply to financial regulations and uh, the teams that are left now um, basically a, a better run and um, also what they do because they don't have that kind of money and I was mentioning that to you guys Olympic Donetsk and uh, Alexandria will both play in the Europa League only have one foreigner each on their squad, and that's that is that is remarkable, especially if they do make it to the to Europa League group stage. And that's I mean that is something actually kind of nice to see that a lot of Ukrainian players get a lot of playing time in that league. So it'll be interesting to see if they can sort of recover it, um, go this way um, by developing younger players and um, you know basically building it up from the ground up. Um, the format is also great for us because we'll get three more uh, all-Ukrainian derbies between Shachtet and Jetsin Dynamo Kiev. So that's something to look forward to. But yeah, we'll leave the Ukrainian Premier League alone. Um, moving over to Russia. Uh, you, Tim, Tim, yeah, your club, Spartak Moscow. What's going on? It's uh, You had, <laughs> you had uh, two games and two points. And that's not exactly what you were hoping for when you started this campaign, wasn't it?
2: Exactly. We talked a little bit about this before, and to be quite honest, I don't know what to tell you because there's two in, within fans. There's two visions. What's going on? Some people just panic and they say, "Crazy! We're still celebrating the champions, uh, the championship. What's going on?" The other um, point of view is that listen, um, everything is fine. We just we had two tough games. Uh, it's just beginning of the season. We don't have to be. In top physical condition right now because we have Champions League. It's still July. I am really on the second side of things because I always, you know, because I'm biased and I like this club so much and I want, you know, I want to have a positive view. So I don't want to be stressing out what's going on. But at the same time, the results are very worrying. And this type of games, which we just uh, tied both of those games, Dinamo and Ufa last last year. We were getting those games. We were winning those games in the very, very last minutes. We had so many ugly 1-0s, but we were taking those games. This year, we're not. And this is what slightly worries me. I still think that it's all fine. It's all good. Um, it's just the beginning of the season. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure that last last um, last year,
1: we would have taken the UFA game. Yeah. Why, why do you think? What is the main issue? I mean, 0-0 zero, zero, draw against uh, ufa is you know that would have been a team that you would have easily scored two or three goals against last season exactly and um
2: uh, i think there is quite quite a few reasons which um, but you know first of all there's quite a few players who are participating in confederations cup so they just got back and they're not in top physical conditions uh because of that, the whole preseason was uh, kind of weird because a lot of the young players participated in the preseason. And as we saw with um, squad which played against Ufa, uh, there's two young players which we, like, nobody expected to see even in the squad. And uh, the other thing that Carrer is definitely planning for um, Champions League, the physical condition, I think, like, you know, it's obvious that it we have to be on top of physical condition in September, October. So obviously, and also the game against Lokomotiv, that didn't help. So I think there's quite a few reasons which d- define those results,
1: but still, I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that could help, right, Andrew, is maybe signing a guy or two. Um, you, we, we saw... Um, well, that's kind of nice. I mean, we want young Russian players to give, give him a chance, but... Uh, career started Selimhan bakayev against uh, Ufa, and um, that shows you that although the games are coming in thick and fast, and he has to rotate quite a bit because of the Confed Cup and uh, the the fact that they had have that's already the third game in just two weeks, and that means he has to rotate quite a bit. But it it uh, bringing in a kid like that um, is a good, but b also shows you that he he realizes that there is a little bit of um a squad depth issue maybe at this at this very moment and um there has been some rumors uh, we'll, we'll go we'll talk about in a second but do you think they still need to do something on, on the market
0: well i mean it's for me, I look at Spartak's squad. I still think their squad is, is absolutely fine. I don't see an issue there. I was actually just very surprised that, um, for example, Jano Ananiti didn't get a run out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's injured yet again, but um, I mean, there's a player. Then he's Davidov, for God's sake. Here's a guy who is what? He's 23 years old now, and he really, he's clearly got the talent and has had it for a while, but I don't know whether it's a mixture of his attitude or the club's refusal to play them or just a mixture of the two whatever it is um, but you've got players there who at least have more experience and are not going to be playing as first choice players every time who are exactly the sort of players you should be playing in this game um even Lamento Melgarejo, I would have played him because long-term, over the course of the season, he's he's not going to be a first-choice player, but he is a very exciting, very dangerous, very quick, counter-attacking player. He's absolutely ideal for this sort of game. Um, but on the other hand, what I would say is, look, I mean, it is only two games into the season. It was a clean sheet away from home. And don't forget, Ufan may not be the biggest name, but they are an incredibly hard side to break down under Sergei Semak. Um, they play a three man defense like a lot of clubs do now, um and their their central midfield they 've got the height and physical presence um of even Portović um so and then up front they 've got Igboon and Fatay. I think one of the most underrated strike partnerships in the league so Ufa are no mean you know but no knockovers don 't forget they came. To was it um, seventh last season? I believe it was um, only three points off qualifying for Europa League themselves. So I don't think I would worry too much, really. Um, although I would, <laughs> I would point out that you know, Tim, you are the eternal optimist when it comes to Spartak, and even you are worried after just two games. This is the classic Spartak up and down. Mm-hmm. Can we can we have faith in them long term? But I actually would give you an, I would offer you a bit of optimism and say. You know, I wouldn't worry too much. The fact that he's that Carrera is taking care to prepare the squad already at this stage, I think is actually sensible. He'll be annoyed that he dropped points, yes, but in the end you'd say, look, I'd rather drop, you know, two points now rather than at a critical stage of a season later when there's not much you can do about it. So I'd say I don't think they do need to to buy anybody, quite frankly. Um, I think they've got the squad. Um I just think he possibly went a bit too far with the youth this time, that's all.
1: Yeah, and two games away from home too. They don't actually get a home opener till Monday, um, next Monday. And that's against Krasnodar. And that's going to be a massive game for them, right, um, Tim? Because if they win that, then they're on five points and then they're all of a sudden one point behind Krasnodar, who are currently second. Um, there's four teams that have won both their games. That's Lokomotiv, Krasnodar, Zenit, and yes, it's Ahmad Grosny, not Tarek. Um, they have won both of their games too. So that is, you know, that's going to be a massive game for them. First home opener. Uh, First the home opener and then against a team that they need to beat. Um, A draw won't be enough at this stage, I I reckon. So, um, what do you think? Um, That's going to be the one, really, where they really want to kickstart the season, right?
2: Exactly. And now we have the whole week to prepare. So, there's no excuses of uh, playing 120 minutes in Super Cup. Um, This is the game which Spartak needs to show uh, what they're capable of. And they need to really like to... um, exactly unfortunately it's it's on monday that's that's like i understand that probably because they have to play the europa league or i don't know why they why is it on monday but um spartak really really they need to show um the best the best performance um on monday i just wanted to say like you know like, like Andrew said, I'm mean, I'm a uh, very optimist when, when it comes to Spartak because this is the club I just love. but um it just you know, it just feels so nice to be a fan of Spartak right now because we're back. It's I, I don't mean back in terms of like, uh, yeah, we won the league, but Spartak now is a club which is fun to follow. Five years ago, seven years ago, it wasn't fun. I tell you, it was so much struggle to be a Spartak fan. now it is actually exciting. So even with the two draws where we started the season, I'm so excited to be a fan sp- uh, right now because because it's it's interesting the fall of the team the the uh, the team is really connected with the fans I enjoy and I understand what the club does so for me it's very very exciting just even like I I, I have no problem if if, if Zenit takes the league, uh, the league this year it's just very exciting to be Spartak fan because we we are, we are strength again
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, you you hear a lot about Spartak. And uh, I want to, before we move this on, indulge this real quick. Uh, A German national team player, Max Kruse. And there is a history of Germans playing at Spartak. There is uh, Tusky playing right now for uh, Spartak. He's a former German national team player. And then there was, of course, uh, Ebert, who also played for Spartak. But Max Kruse has been recently linked to from... bring Bremen to Spartak and uh, the reason for that is he likes to live a bit of an expensive life so there's apparently a big money offer for him. Um, I I wrote an article on this on Fußballstadt.com. I think Max Kuzer still thinks he can make the the World Cup squad. I don't think he's ready to move to Russia in order not to make the Russian national team at the Russian World Cup. So I think that is something that we won't see but it shows you that Spartak are looking for players and uh, that they are definitely going to be active on the transfer market. And then this Max Cruz's story um, is, shows you what kind of player they are, are trying to target and um, probably also going to be able to get because of the Champions League football. And it will be interesting to follow that story in particular. But I want to move over to a team that actually did play in the Champions League on Tuesday against Ike Athens and uh is your rival city rival tim and they actually won that game uh, which is a good result for them 2-0 away in athens and what was really remarkable about this is that igor arcanviath my my favorite fly catcher uh, (laughs) first clean sheet in 11 years in a champions league game i'm i when i saw that headline i wasn't sure if this counts because it's not a champions league group stage game but i guess uh Oh, at this stage, he will take anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a really good result for CSKA um, because you know two zero away from home. That's basically done and dusted. They, they would need a massive meltdown for them to basically not go through to the playoff stage of the Champions League. So that's that's really good news for Russian football and CSKA in particular. But there's a big bark, but, um They were awful against Locomotive Moscow last weekend. Really, really terrible. I and mean, when you follow the CSKA the fans that uh, I have on social media, there was a lot of fury there, wasn't there, Andrew?
0: Well, there's no getting around it. They, they just weren't very imaginative. Uh, they just didn't look like they were going to create any chances. And to be fair to locomotive They've slightly changed their st- – well, they have changed their style quite a bit. They've moved to out-and-out wing-back formation, which they didn't play for most of last season. They played Dmitry Barinov out of position at centre-back, Jefferson Farfan slightly out of position at wing-back. Um, and they just looked infinitely more professional, infinitely more in tune with what their manager wanted them to do. And it, this is the problem. Cisca just don't have they don't have a squad. They have a good first team lineup, but their squad is just is it's getting terrifyingly thin. I actually think ironically that for a while, or for a long, long time, their strength has been their defense, but I actually see their their forward line as probably the strongest part of their squad now, because you look at their defense and the Bertsuski twins are 35, Ignoshevic is 38. All three of them have said that they're very likely to retire at the end of the season. If they're gone, you've got Viktor Vassin left, who yet again made a catastrophic error. I mean, seriously, Manny, how bad was that mistake to let in Ari for their second goal? It was it was just it was comedy in a sort of a dark comedy sense. And all you've got left, if the Beratuskies in Ign- Ignace leave, is Viktor Vassin and Nikita Chornov, who hasn't played a single game for Siska. Um, those are the only two senior players, if you can call Churnoff sure a senior player, um, who can come in at centre-back. Um, yeah, it was worrying. It was worrying. I, I've been a fan of Tisgaard for the last few years, but I've been increasingly worried at how they just have... It seems like they refuse to either blood whatever youngsters that... And don't forget, like we mentioned last week, the youngsters are, are performing very well in the um, UEFA Youth League. They got to the quarterfinals, I think it was last year. Um, but where were the where were the youth players in the first team squad? Where were the defenders most most importantly? So, yeah, it's it's if they first team can stay fit, no problem. But the first team includes Alan Togorov, who has a hamstring injury about every two or three months. So, um. Yeah, you say, I mean, how worried should their fans be? Great result last night. Fantastic result. Really takes the pressure off. But over the course of this season, unless they do some serious business, and we know they won't realistically, um, they're they're in trouble.
1: It's the defensive line that worries me. I actually think the midfield is quite strong and the attacking line is quite strong too. And they have young players... Um, you know, Timo Shamaletinov was once rated, I think, even by the Guardian, as one of the best prospects in Europe. Uh, Fedor Shalov, I, I really like him. He's he's a very good player, and um, all the the other players that they have, you know, the foreigners too. Um, Vitinho is is proving all the critics wrong. I believe he he's turning out to be quite a good player for them. And in in midfield, it's the same thing. I mean, Mario, Mario Fernandez. He's, yes, he's a right back, but he's been playing a more or less uh, right midfield now for them in the three-five-two. And he's he's a very good player, maybe even one of the most valuable players in in Russia. Period. And you know, he's um, now a Russian citizen, and I could actually see him move on at some point because he has his Russian citizenship secured, and he can play for Russia now. Um, it's, um, what worries me is the defense, you know, the, the Nikita Chernov. Yeah. He's 21, but he's not getting the time that he needs. And I think coaches in general are a bit more reluctant, um, bloodying players in the defensive line because, you know, as you said, a, a mistake is often costly, but. Maybe that is something that where they need to invest. They need to bring in someone. They need to say, okay, look, well, midfield and attacking line, we're we're well like stocked there. We have enough players there. In worst case, was we'll throw in someone from the youth academy because it's just way easier to bloody players um, in that part of the field than it is to, to blood bloody uh, defenders. And um, so maybe they just need to, to look at that right Tim? and maybe sign one or two defenders because currently. Um, the age I mean, the Beresutsky twins together are 70 and then you, you add Ignacevic who's 38 that's you know we're looking at three players who are together over 100 years old um, that's just uh, very worrying
2: yeah it is and it's a end of the era because like those players really associate with recent successes of um, let's say SK and um, We all know that Ceska have the troubles with um, the transfers. They don't really do big transfers. So I'm really curious how they would handle that problem. Because like you said, um, those guys most likely will be gone in the end of the season. We know that Gocirinka likes to play with three defenders. (laughs) So far, in the end of the season, they will have one Because like you said, Nikita Chernov hasn't played. Yes, he had a good season in FNL last year. Good for him, but it's a little bit different level. So I completely agree with you and I'm I'm actually curious to see which way would uh TSK would go. Would they go for a foreigner, maybe a young, talented foreigner who would be um a good fit for uh Vasin? Or would they maybe buy somebody young or maybe experienced in Russia? So it's also very interesting because there there are some defenders who would um, be a good fit for TSK defense. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, obviously, in the end of the season, it will be a massive, massive change with uh, all those three gone. Um, Just going back to Champions League, I'm just like we said in the in the in the the previous pod, I'm very happy that, you know, that that SCA won. But then the challenge really is like the next round. So, why, like we can be happy for them, but at the same time, we all understand that the challenge is next round when they most likely will face a tougher opponent.
1: Do you think that if they get through this round, which looks now likely, that they will actually go out and make an investment? I, I hope so,
2: because they definitely need, 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 need somebody who will be maybe on the bench this season or will play lesser games, but... You know, at least will be part of the team and understand what Gancherevka wants from the defense, how they structure the game. Ideally, like if I were them, I would buy uh, Ganchi. Uh, sorry, I would buy a defender, and I will give give more playing time to Nikita Chernov. Mm. That that's that's my vision.
1: What do you think, Andrew?
0: Well. Quite honestly, I think what they need is is someone with experience to come in. But then that's that's the catch-22. Somebody with experience who's good enough is going to cost you money. Um, I, I, I definitely think long-term, certainly Nikita Chornov needs to be given a run. And if he's not up to it, then OK, they, at least they then will know that he's not up to it. But, you know, this is a guy, don't forget, this is the guy who made his debut for Russia against Austria, was it last year or the year before, mm-hmm. before he'd even played for Tisco, he's clearly highly rated um, what's the point in having highly rated players, successful youth team um, if, if you're not even going to give them you know, a, a proper chance, and the problem they've got is that they've waited till this stage to even consider it, and that's if they are considering it, Chernoff's sure 21 now, of course he's got plenty of time, he could have another 15 years at the top but You know, he's still, at the age of 21, to still not have made your club debut is is really quite something. Um, You know, they should have been able to see when the Beretsuskis were, you know, 31, 32, when Shavich was in his mid-30s, not his late 30s, they should have thought, now is the time to give two or three games, maybe against a weaker team at home or in the Russian Cup, then season afterwards, give them five or ten games, so that by this stage, when they really are on the verge of retiring, these youth players would have had, you know, 20, 30 first-team games. Throwing them in at the deep end, when it's intense pressure, like it will be, that's just, um, it's practically suicide. I, I just, I can't understand... Why have been so reluctant to, to start this process two, three years ago? Um, I mean, in terms of what they do, I mean, okay, they get through to the playoff stage for Champions League, Manu. Um, I think they've left it too late to bring in someone from another league of with experience because at this stage, teams are already playing Champions League qualifiers. They're already, you know, like you've said many times before, Manu, the German league in particular, they do their business early. They've done it practically by now. And a lot of other leagues are starting to follow suit. So, um, within the Russian league, off the top of my head, I would suggest someone like Ivan Novotnyov would be a good fit because you know he's not—I mean, he's in his mid-twenties. He doesn't seem to be in favourites, and for some some very strange reason, um, uh, maybe Andrei Semenov at Alkmaar. Although I'm not sure they would let him go, but you never know. He's an experienced head there, Russian international too. Um, could it uh, say
2: again yeah
0: yeah i mean had i mean had it, you see yes again had it not been for the birdie of link and him moving to Rubin, yeah. that would have been absolutely ideal um I mean, I think a lot of teams are probably ruining the fact that Birdie went back to Rubin specifically because because of his strength and connections there had he not then a lot of teams could have picked up the um the Rostov squad it would have been very useful but yeah there are options in the russian league but i just don't see i just don't get the feeling that they realize the urgency of the situation
1: yeah and you know nikita chernov is such a funny one for me because um correct me if i'm wrong but he was the captain of the u17 side and the u19 sides so have did very well in the european championships right and he gets no playing time whatsoever and um, Fabio Capello I know he was criticized quite a lot for a lot of things but he obviously saw something in him and Italians know defenders and yet he's not getting no playing time it's just it's such a bizarre phenomena and uh, I really don't understand it I thought I mean, it was Leonid Slutsky who was just stubborn about this one but. Victor Goncharenko is doing the same thing and, and time is really running out on them. I mean, you're right. There's, who are you going to be able to sign? But it's, you are in this transition phase. So if you don't sign anyone, you have to play your young players and you have to play them now. But um, it's really odd. I, that's a piece of politics that I don't understand. He was out, sent out on loan in Yenisei last season, right? So... Yeah, I'm really, really curious um, to see how that develops because I'm I'm not sure what CSKA exactly are doing. I, I thought they did a very smart thing when they brought in Victor Goncherenko as the coach to sort of um, revolutionize the squad or, or evolutionize because Leonid Slutsky, of course, did an amazing job and he was the right coach to bring in to adapt them and bring them to the next level but you would think when you do that you would also give your coach the, the right tools to do it um, and uh, you know him re- still relying on the Beresudski Twins is is for me a sign that there isn't very much else there so yeah something something to f- watch and follow I think over the next year or so um, and see how CSKA develop But I want to talk um, about your club next, Andrew, and um, a topic that we have talked about a couple times, but something that you can relate to quite well, because you travel twice a week for how many kilometers to go to a home game? And I'm using bunny ears here.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I, every every fortnight I go three hundred and thirty kilometres, um, three hundred and thirty-five to be precise, from my door to the stadium, um, and you know it's a four-hour drive. So I should I should have said five-hour drive because that would mathematically mean I'm in the speed limit. But um, and anyway, let's let's brush past that point. Um, three hundred and fifty kilometres is um, the nearest Premier League club for me, and. The you know, you talk about rivalries in football. The the rivalry Ural have is with Amkar Piem, and that's I I can't remember exactly, it's about three, four hundred kilometres from Yekaterinburg, and that is the local derby. Um it's just a representation of the, the mad distances um that Russian teams have to have to face. And you know, the one, one thing I would say on this whole thing, we, we mentioned Skar Khabarovsk, how being on the far eastern Reaches of Russia have got uh, the, Well, they've got a mammoth task against them. I was quite pleased to see that the fixtures were slightly rearranged to give them a run of three away games in a row. So their second game um, against this guy this weekend, meaning that they can go from St. Petersburg to um, uh, to to Moscow, and it's not going to you know this run of away games is more sensible. But you can't get away from the fact Russia is big. I mean, there, there aren't many ways to make this a manageable situation. That's the that's the long and short of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, Manu, you're, you know, you, well, both of you, Tim and Manu, you guys um, live in North America and the distances there for for other sports and teams are, are absolutely crazy as well. I mean, you guys must have a, an interesting perspective, too, on this.
1: Yeah, I'll, um, I covered the Vancouver Whitecaps, right? And I was on... On Sunday, so if you want to back-read that, that's on footballsidage.com. I covered the the game between Vancouver and their regional rival, Cascadia Cup rival, Portland Timbers. And uh, that's a derby here, and that's 500 kilometers uh, between the two clubs. And usually a two-hour borderway to the United States as well, if you do it by bus, which I have done many times. And that's a long day. I think it takes like eight, nine hours until you're from Vancouver to Portland by bus. So, you know, that's, that's a regional rivalry here. And that's, I guess that's similar to, to what Ural has, has to do. Um, I mean, their closest rival is Amca Perm, which is, um, 320 kilometers, I believe, right? so that's that's a lot of travel and the term the top the topic travel is is always a big one in north american sports so um and is always very much highlighted in north american sports the the, the big one was of course the vancouver Canucks right tim the uh hundred and i think it was hundred and twenty uh hundred and forty six kilometers um 126 kilometers, 126,000 kilometers the Vancouver Canucks had to travel in their 41 away games and the playoff games during the 2010 11 season stands out. The LA Lakers, and this was all the way in the 60s again, uh, that was 40 away games, managed uh, 146,000 kilometers in travel and um i thought i was very curious because in north america that's a big thing they always talk about like all oh, the travel and how difficult it is and everything and then uh Championat released the travel distances for russian clubs and uh i think it put everything kind of into perspective for what north american teams face because it really is i don't want to say it's a joke but it's uh it makes it look quite simple especially when you take uh Khabarovsk, (laughs) (laughs) who've absolutely smashed, absolutely smashed um, any record put up um, because I think their closest away game, and this is their closest away game, is to Ural, which is four thousand eight hundred and fifty-six kilometers. Local <laughs> <derby>. <laughs> that is their local derby. Um which is just absolutely mind-numbing so oh, far, you don't know so whether to far. laugh
0: or cry, do you?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean they only have sixteen um away games and um they will spend 11.5 days or 275 hours and 50 minutes in flights this season. Just flying. That's all our that Kavarovsk are going to do. Um, they're going to travel 180.818,000 kilometers this season. Um, which is just... I mean, <laughs> you look at those numbers, that's crazy. Um, I, I then went on and crunched the numbers and calculated the average. So the average Russian club this season... And that includes the the Moscow teams that don't have to travel as much because they have three derbies each right um six derbies each actually sorry the average Russian club will travel fifty two thousand three hundred and seventeen thousand kilometers this this season and uh that is more than what the n f l teams have to do that they play games in London, so that's just just crazy i i mean you look at that, and you're just trying to wrap your head around it, and and think like, wow, that's just um, a completely different level of insanity. And uh, Andrew, t- you know, you do this traveling. Mm. Um, what is your <laughs> day like when you go to a again home game? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's. Um... It's, I, I have the shortest journey of all. When you put those numbers you're mentioning, man, <laughs> are just absolutely dizzying. Really, but you know, I mean, just from a purely personal point of view, I grew up on a on a diet of um, of football in England, where the longest away journey is my drive to a home game. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> oh Jesus, the context is mad. the The appeal for me personally is. You know, I get to see Premier League football. Um, four-hour drive is manageable. Um, I mean, we're talking about, well, I mean, I don't want to say interstate, but it is the equivalent of an interstate. It's a one-lane country road, and I'm not exaggerating. It really is from Tumen to Yekaterinburg. And you do get to see a bit of a countryside, view few different towns. Uh, there's even one town, uh, Bogdanovich, which you, the motorway drives right through the centre of town, and you see this old, really old Soviet stadium, where in winter, when you're driving past, I've seen ice hockey games take, or bandy games taking place outside. Um, so the journey there for me is the appeal. But that's that's driving, and that's 350 kilometres. That's not flying as <laughs> an entire continent to away games. But what I would say is this: that you know we sort of laugh and cry at the numbers, but it's actually a very very difficult problem to solve because you cannot deny. Scar the right to play in the Russian Premier League because they've done everything that's been asked of them. They've got their license. They have won the games necessary to, to, to play in the top flight. And yet, on the other hand, there is very little that can be done to help them. And I stress help them, not the, the teams that travel to Haberdoff, because for obvious reasons, for Haberdoff, they've got 15 of these things to do. Uh, other teams have just one. Um The only thing that can slightly ease the pressure is grouping their away games geographically and on the calendar so that, you know, at least they can play two Moscow games consecutively, perhaps. It saves on travel time, but it's still not exactly ideal. But then what is the solution? You can't regionalize one top flight. It just makes a mockery of the competition. So um, the short answer is that there is no answer um i just i just don't know how teams like scar are are ever going to really sustain a growth in the top flight you know maybe Akinfeev had a point when he said um that Lucien Aguirre, Vade Vostok, who joined the Japanese league a decade
1: ago. <laughs> Actually, I was just going to say that because one of the comments I got from underneath the Football Grad article was they should just play in China. <laughs> but that's not the solution. They're not a Chinese club. Plus, um, from the latest, I've heard Chinese Super League is going bust. So there's that. But, um, but, Manu, you should know, like the, the fourth division club, like when they have the now, uh, Chinese national team playing in the Germany. So maybe
2: that's a solution. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I do know that there is um, youth teams, Russian youth teams in that region. They play Chinese clubs. The problem is that they play these Chinese clubs and they absolutely smash them. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> one of the Dynamo youth sites, um, I think it was uh, Yakutsk actually, went down to, to China and they won every one of the home games, 11-0, 9-0, 8-0, mm-hmm. and 12-0. And um, that can't be, you know, the solution for them either. Chinese football, especially youth football, is not on the level necessary for for Russian football to compete. And we're talking about, you know, Russia as a country that's struggling a little bit themselves when it comes to developing youth players. So uh, it's it's not the solution. I mean, the reality is it's a big country. Uh, You can't just say, well, you are Siberian club, go good luck in Japan and China. Uh, This is where your future lies. you know and it's i crunched those numbers um with the help of championat so big shout out to them but i mean i would i would be interested to see how bad it is in fnl it would be even worse because mm-hmm. you have five or six clubs playing in the far oh, east there you have um, until last season you had a team on sakhalin you know <laughs> and then you're really talking yep. because then their home games to japan would be closer than even to the closest team <laughs> on the russian mainland The local derby (laughs) yeah they could play local derbies against urava Urava red diamonds in uh, tokyo (laughs) that would be a local derby for them so i mean this is just the reality (laughs) of of geography and this is why i always uh juggle when i hear north american sports franchises complaining about uh the travel Uh, especially the nhl and nba teams that are basically flying private jets um it's a little bit harder for mls i get that it's uh you know mls restriction make it Hard because they they have to fly economy class. Well, poor them. That's what all of us have to do all the time. So there <laughs> is that. Um, but you know, it's it is really a completely different challenge. And uh, Skarhaborask, we all talk about them right now. But you know, L- Luch Energia are even further east, and they have made it to the R- Russian Football Premier League before. And then we, of course, uh, we remember Nakhotka as well, uh, Okeana Nakhotka, who played in the 90s. And they were even further. Um, you know, they, they're right on the border to North Korea. So, um, yeah, geography, I mean, it's it's something that we always like to discuss quite a bit on this pod because it's just uh, a fascinating, fascinating part of covering uh, the Russian football, isn't it? But But like... Like, we all involved in that leak. I'm just
2: curious for the listeners. They probably, like, you know, they don't know where Nakhotko Vladivostok is. So for them, it must be fascinating just to find out those distances because if somebody's is listening in England, like Andrew said, the longest... The longest drive is probably a few hours just to get to the furthest club possible. Here, Andrew goes to see his hometown team to make the longest drive. So I think it's for the listeners that should be probably interesting just to understand the level of travel that uh, because of the size of the country the teams have to
1: do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's hard.
0: I mean, you know, there's, there's one. There was one thing I on this on this topic last time we spoke about this. I looked on the BBC website, they actually highlighted the maddest long away journeys. And of course they came to Haberdos cause have been promoted and they mentioned in the, you know, in the, in the French cup, there are some Pacific Island, uh, like former French colonies that uh, they actually, I think it's uh, I think it may have even been a team from Tahiti even, uh, enter the French cup in the first round and they, they fly, they can choose which way around the world they actually fly to get there. <laughs> um, You know, but those sort of stories are just, they're they're kind of the last unknown outpost for, for, certainly for English fans. I talk from an Englishman's point of view, there's fascination about just the madness of distances because they're just, it's the complete opposite in our tiny little country. um, You know, you've got, for example, Uh, Exeter City playing Hartlepool United. I can't remember if they played this season or last season in the same division, but it wasn't long ago, and that's, I think, that is the longest distance between league clubs in England. And that's, um, you know, oh, it's 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 a good, you know, six hours to travel there, seven hours even. Wow! I just think, (laughs) well, yeah, like we just said, home games. I (laughs) I, do more than that.
1: That's a bit of a a bit of a joke, Um, but you know, that's just perspective and geography isn't it but i want to move on to on a last topic and that's uh something that i think is actually a good piece of news although it has been criticized for not being um, harsh enough and that's russia finally installs an anti-racism monitoring system and uh, it was you know the first teams that got fine were dynamo and Spartak. Um Spartak during the for what happened at the Super Cup, where Spartak fans shouted, um, racist chance at Gulham, the, you know, Brazilian born Russian national team goalkeeper who plays for Lokomotiv. And then, of course, Dynamo and doing the Dynamo Spartak derby, there were some incidences as well. So the teams were fined, um, 3,650 euros, which isn't a lot. And that was one thing that was criticized in this anti-racing monitoring system that the fines were not hard enough. Another thing that was really criticized was that uh, Dynamo held up a homophobic banner. Uh, Dynamo fans held up a homophobic banner, and that was not um, was not fined. Uh, instead, it was just uh, a fine for holding up an unauthorized banner. <laughs> but uh, at this, this, this is you know Smertin um, worked closely together with our friends from CSKA against racism, but also together with the Fair Network to to get this get this basically set up and it is a right step into the right direction isn't it tim absolutely absolutely because it's
2: it's been embarrassing to watch and hear sometimes what uh, the russian fans um chant and with my passion for spartak there's no difference like i'm sometimes i hear what they say uh, like watching a game and i get embarrassed like if i were it, at the stadium, I won't be associated. Same thing with like this is what happened with Gagliano. Like it was so painful and so embarrassing for me to hear that and then to read all those news. Because the guy plays in Russia for how many years? He plays for national team. What's wrong with him? Like why would you do it? To me, to me, to me, this is just embarrassing. And I, I'm not gonna say that Spartak is better or worse than anybody else. That's a problem in the whole league. And, but uh, because I mostly watch Spartak games, so I like I follow that, and I'm I'm so happy that this is even with the low fine. At least it's a like you said, Mano. It's a step in the right direction because sometimes it's been embarrassing like watching sometimes the um, andri games especially away in moscow it just like it's like uh, like i i I don't want to hear this stuff i want to watch a football game whereas the, the the beautiful game is celebrated and there's no
1: offensive uh, chance no yeah and Gulliam is spoke out on this and he was um I thought it was quite interesting what he said, I think, and I think he might be right. Fans are not able to make the connection between what is racism and what is just a chant to distract the opposition player. And that's, in my opinion, is education and their lack of education. You have to, you know, fines are great. And I'm fully behind them and I think fines need to happen and they need to be stronger. Because they then in turn force clubs to say, it's like, oh, how do we avoid these fines? Um, and that we can only avoid the fines when we tell our fans that what they're saying is wrong. And you cannot just say, well, this is wrong, don't say it. You have to say, well, this is wrong because of this and this and this. And I think that is really the next step. It's education that needs to happen. And I think people always say, well, fines, what are fines going to do? Well, fines, and that's only if it's steep enough. I think this 3,650 euros is not harsh enough. It needs to be a lot more than that. They're going to work in a way because... They they going to say make clubs say okay well we have to talk to our fans we have to talk to our ultras we have to talk to the people that um, run the stands and say well look support the team yes make fun of other players yes as long as it doesn't offend their religion their sexual orientation or their race leave that alone and leave that alone because it's it's just not okay and you have I think that is an education step isn't it Andrew just to tell people like look. There is certain things that you can do, and there's certain things that you should never, ever, ever do.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the key point here because you know when you hear um, you know people screaming murder at you know incidences of of racism in in all countries, but I mean particularly vehemently, I would say uh, towards cases in Russia is you've got to remember the context. I mean, I mean I've I've lived here for for seven years now, seven and a half years, and. If you took one-off instances and put them in a different country in a different context, you would say, yes, that is a very racist thing to say. And I was a bit shocked to start with, and I still am a little bit, but you've got to remember the you've got to remember things like the history of a country. The you know, I go I go back to this every single time, but it's a point that needs to be made. Um you talk about education, man, absolutely spot on, but the lack of Cross-cultural education that was allowed during the Soviet Union is something that very few other countries can even comprehend. And if you if you were to place those same conditions over the majority of the 20th century, the most you know the most amount of change we've ever seen in a century. If you place those conditions on a country like the UK, for example, call it the Soviet Union of the United Kingdom, and for the last three decades, that was all that had been open in terms of the open exchange of 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 people of education of of culture then the level of racism would be at least the same it possibly even worse you've got to remember 40 years ago there hadn't been a black player representing england 30 yeah. years ago on the terraces at, at Stamford bridge the I, I forgot the tough man i forget his name but the Um, the peer of the realm who headed the kick-out racism campaign in England, he was a Chelsea fan and he got abused violently. Bananas were thrown on the pitch. Um, And this is 30, 40 years ago. And that's with an open 20th century. Mm. This is a country that hasn't had that. And not only that, the the history of the country being invaded by different cultures like the the Mongols and being invaded by uh, the the European armies throughout history. uh, This is... This all plays into it. Now, I'm not for any any in any way saying that this is an excuse for it, that it makes it okay, but it shows you that education affects. It's not the people themselves inherently being a racist people. It's the education of them. I completely agree with you on that, Manu. Um, the only one more thing I would add is that I personally very much dislike fines at all as a punishment. I, even if they're steep, I don't believe that's quite the right message. I think it needs to be stronger. And when I, when I say stronger, by that I mean the threat needs to be a real threat. And the one thing that hurts clubs, okay, you can fine them silly amounts of money, but that's not going to happen. But um, I think is points deductions or even stage enclosures. They, yeah. they punish the good fans, and I don't agree necessarily with that. But something stronger than fines is the only way to do it. And I think so
1: too, Andrew. I think this, you know, this I mean, strong fines has to be the final line. Sadly, um, you know we're, we're kind of running out of time, so I need to, to wrap it up here. But I think we can all agree that uh, it has to be that you know this is a step into the right direction, and um, we we'll, we'll basically we're going to follow the story, and I hope that you know the, the Russian football Premier League uh, is not going to leave it just at fines, but also actually punish clubs um, more severely for racist behavior but uh, i want to underline that this is definitely a right step in the right direction anyways andrew um need to wrap it up here but what do you have to plug for me this week
0: uh, well, I'm I'm quite pleased with some of my previews on the Football Grad Network. I put a lot of research into finding out about some of the Russian clubs' opponents. Bene Yakuda tomorrow against Zenit, um, so definitely have a look at those. There's some exciting times for European qualification, so that's what I'd like to plug.
1: Yeah, and uh, Tim, what's going on over there? You're basically a free man now, aren't you? Yeah, and now finally I have time to to um, to work on
2: our Siberian derby uh, article, which me and Manu have been working for uh, quite some time. Uh, it uh, will be an article on Football Grad about um, a derby which was massive in the 90s in Siberia in Novosibirsk when I lived there, and um, it, yeah, I hope it will be an interesting read for the Football Grad
1: um, fans. Yeah, It's in it's in the final editing station and I cannot stress how good of a read this is going to be. It's a fascinating article. So that will be on footballgrad.com in the next few days. Uh, keep an eye out on that. And um, on my part, you know, <laughs> previews, Andrew mentioned them, Europa League, Champions League action is underway. So we have all the previews on that. And then, of course, next week, uh, the Return next the previous, will be out for that as well. Um, so that's a massive plug for that. And, of course, uh, Golazzo podcast coming later later this week as well. But that's it for now. dann svidaniya.
2: this is rachel fisher and this is desi jennigan and we host
1: the hollywood crime scene podcast We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC plus where every day feels like Christmas morning from new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics. You can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff and with new series episodes movies and fresh content arriving every week. AMC plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season
2: if there wasn't candy, right? Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound.